Episode number eight, Stephen Holen, Improvisational Storytelling with Children, Creativity and Children. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to another edition of The Art of Storytelling with Children. I'm your host, Brother Wolf, and I have on the line the amazing, the wonderful Stefan Holland, the storyteller who inspired me so much that when I first heard him tell a story, I had to go off immediately and create a story just like it in my own genre. (laughs) (laughs) And um, as a storyteller, his down-home flavor has definitely influenced my telling style and been an inspiration to me. Uh, Stephen's family comes from Tennessee in the 1800s. They moved to Clay County, Kentucky and stayed. He went to high school in Clay County and then college in Bluegrass, Georgetown College near Lexington. Um, since radio didn't work t- till evening, he had to entertain himself and his family telling stories. I'm a little jealous. I had to watch TV every night. Um, <laughs> my family passed, he says, he writes, my family passed the evening telling stories. His degree is in oral interpretation, a communication arts degree in storytelling. Oh, a professional liar, certified by the state. Um, He's been telling stories since then and has a CD and a small book of poetry published. He also has a blog. He writes stories for and a verse, mountainstories.easyjournal.com. I'll say that again at the end of the podcast if you're frantically writing it down. Um, He has spent three years writing poetry. Now, the first time I saw him perform was at the Oops Conference. And I have to tell you that um, Stefan's storytelling really blew me away. And in particular, um, the sort of friendliness and the sort of I'm going to lure you into my memory and capture you and get you to come down into my memory and into my past. And he did that for me. I I went to his grandma's. And I can still tell you about the feather beds at his grandma's. They're really nice. <laughs> and that was five years ago, I think. Was that five years? Is that right? I think so. I still remember those feather beds. And, of course, I've never actually been to his grandma's. I just went in the story. And because of Stefan, he actually lined up a residency that he was unable to fulfill. And he, he asked me to, to, or I ended up getting it. He didn't really ask me. But, but by luck and chance, I ended up filling his spot. Um, so I've actually filled Stefan's shoes. <laughs> Um, and and I'm very grateful to him for that. Um, so I asked him to come on today to talk about uh, creativity uh, with children. But before I do that, I'd like to ask him to share a piece of his work. Uh, Stephen Holland. I'll do that, Eric. But just call me Steve. I'm I'm a little bit more comfortable just being kind of plain. Oh. Okay. And uh, Eric asked me to share a small piece of my work and something that was my favorite. And I don't know about you, but I have my favorite now often. There's a poem I wrote back in the fall, and it's one of my favorite things right now. I like it. It reminds me of down home and the fall, and it's just 
at the top of my memory right now, I've read it several times this week. I was in Tennessee for a few days, and here it is. I call it puddle jumpers. There's a small puddle, just a rut filled with water, high up on a mountain in the Appalachian Hills. It's far from any stream, creek, or even river. As I walked by, I would often see ripples. Often there'd be some kind of bubbles. I stopped today, and I sat on a fallen tree. I waited, and I watched. For I knew there had to be a wonderment. Soon, and not soon enough, a small frog stuck out his head, climbed out of that puddle, He was joined by two little frogs just like him on the muddy rut. When I rose to leave, I saw three ripples, bubbles in the water, and I knew that there, away from any source where where tadpoles might grow, lived three little frogs. I walked by again and again just to see them jump, ripple and bubble, in a small puddle, in the rut of a pass, high on a mountain, deep in the hills of Appalachia. That's beautiful. And I just love the image, Eric. I just, I love that image of of where there shouldn't be anything, three little frogs. I was driving to my house down the gravel lane to the Vale community I live in. Um, and I luckily, without hurting it, drove over a snake. And the snake was just perfectly the length between the two wheels of my car. That I didn't yes. hurt it. <laughs> but it was just big enough that when I got out of the car and I looked at it, I said, I'm not going anywhere near that snake. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, I can't not go near that snake. So I went over there, got a stick, a branch, and I went over there and I just tapped him a little bit this way and kind of and he was really sluggish. He must have been it was a hot day or whatever. I don't know. He's he's just taking it easy. So after a little bit of work he finally I picked him up with a stick and carried him off the trail and and suddenly he could move fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I dropped that stick, man, I ran away. I'm very courageous when it comes to snakes, but Recently, I've been talking to my friends about the local rattlesnake population, and I'm just a little nervous when it comes to big snakes and lots of patterns. There's little snakes here, too, that scare me, the um, little swamp rattlesnake that uh, you find around here. Very small, not not much more than a foot, foot and a half long, but not a snake I'd want to mess with. Oh, the Manasaka, is that the one? I can't pronounce Manasaga, it. Manasaga, yes, that's yes. the one. My, I was out on the trail with a group of kids. This should probably not be repeated on tape, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was out on the trail with a group of kids um, the first year I did camp, before the health department found out about me. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had these kids out uh, in this local state park, and this kid comes over. He's got, I found a snake. I'm like, well, don't touch it. It could be poisonous. So he brings it over on a really long stick, and it's like maybe six inches long. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that's a rattlesnake. <laughs> He's like, it's not a... I'm like, yeah, it's a rattlesnake. I want you to put it down real carefully. Yes, they they are rattlesnakes. <laughs> oh Well, um, some people are probably listening to this going, wait a minute, I thought we were going to talk about creativity and storytelling. <laughs> and storytelling, yes. <laughs> so let us not 
divert into the woods that we both love so much. That's right. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go off into creativity and kids and storytelling. So you tell stories to children, and you yes. include them in the stories somehow? Is that the basis? You know, I, I do, Eric, and because I'm a writer, I often get invited to come to English classes, fourth, fifth, sixth grade classes, and not just tell stories. As you know, sometimes it's difficult for schools to get grants just to have a storyteller come in. But if you can fit into a curriculum somehow, they are tickled to get you in there. And I love going in and talking to classes and doing what I call improvisational storytelling. A lot of what that is is going into an English class or a writing class, for example, and the cool thing is, when they're in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they're learning the difference and talking a lot in class about the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And I love to go in and first start and ask them if they don't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And of course they do. They've they've learned that a year prior or two years prior. So then I I start talking to them about what what I learned years ago, the three Ps. And, and I'm sure Eric, you're you're aware of that, and and everybody else is that's ever had to write in a creative writing class, the the person, the place, the problem, I throw a fourth P in because I like to have fun with storytelling, and I throw in props. What mm. things can we use in the story? And kids can have a great time with that because as as I talk about these things, they, they normally have talked about these. They get excited about these things. Repeat the four Ps then. Repeat them all the, just one more time. The four Ps, the first Three are the ones you will hear in in a in a normal class, and that's person, place, and problem. And sometimes they talk about character, and they talk about setting, and they sometimes instead of problem, they'll talk about the situation, or you know the lots of other things that they talk about. But I throw a fourth one in, and that's the props. What stuff can we use in this story to make it fun and interesting? And kids get real excited about that. One thing I will mention to you, when I work with this improvisational storytelling, I ask them to come up with with the four Ps. And what I then do is I tell a story there on the spot based on the four Ps that they came up with. Now, I do have some guidelines. For example, you cannot suggest the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or any other cartoon character or television character or movie character as as a person or a character in the story that I'm going to make up. You could, for example, say, let's have the story be in Disneyland or Disney World, but you could not say, let's tell the story about Mickey Mouse. I'll, I'll say, tell me the type of person that would be there and tell me, you know, give me an idea who this person is. Is he young? Is he old? Girl, boy? Um, how tall is he? Is he... Is he blonde? Is he is he brown-headed? Is he black-headed? Just go through the routine, and we on on the blackboard. I will write those things down. Give me some characteristics of this person. You know, he's always walking around with his shoes untied. Can become a prop, and that can fit into the story somehow. And and I ask them to describe this child to me, this adult to me, this old person to me. And the great thing is it really causes the kids to think, to create, and, and not just be a, a television person excited about their own writing because it helps them see that I'm trying to create a three-dimensional image of that character that we're talking about and trying to build some depth 
to that character as I get ready to tell the story. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. In terms of getting um, a group process, a consensus building, and also in, in it's interesting because you're feeding off what Jim Flanagan was talking about last week um, with creating a story with kids um, and and how we build um, their interest in creating characters by by demonstrating it right in front of them. Right. Yeah. You know, actually, I was reading Jim's uh, stuff on your blog, and one of the things that that I noticed there. Um, is he said that that st- storytelling and, and writing is intertwined, and, and and that's absolutely correct. They, when when they're asked to write something, many times they don't know how to start. So what I do basically is say, hey guys, let's dream together. You know, just like you you lay down, you go to sleep, and you have this amazing dream. Let's dream together out loud, and let's dream up a character, and let's you know think about what he would look like. And and I start with age, for example, and. And I ask them if they want it to be a fun story, and and if they say yes, then let's come up with a fun character. And the great thing is that kids just start dreaming all of a sudden. And and I have some rules. For example, if little little Sally raises her hand fifteen times, probably what I'll do is say real nicely, "Hey, Sally, you know what? Let's give some of these other guys a chance. You are so creative. I really appreciate that. But you know what?" We want everybody to share in the story. Does that sound good to you? And little Sally will suddenly say, yeah, and and she won't raise her hand every time I have a question. She'll realize that we need a consensus and we need everybody involved. And, and that's that's great because I don't have to avoid looking at her and, and pretend like her hand is, isn't up. And she gets involved in, in looking around to see who else is, is looking and, and thinking, and she gets excited about other people having ideas. And then when I get to place, you know, place is a little bit easier. The character is hard for the kids sometimes until I start saying, let's build some depth to this. And I start asking about their age and their size and and what's different about them and what's fun about them. Hmm. And um, then we go to the place, and I, I, I ask them to name some place that will be fun. Uh, I had some kids come up with a racetrack one time. I was here in Ohio at a school in a fifth-grade class, and I asked, we we had a had a guy that that was 11 years old, and he loved animals. I remember that. And um, one of the kids came up with a racetrack, and they just laughed and laughed. They thought that was such a great idea. And I said, "What am I going to do with a racetrack?" And and they said, "Well, you're the storyteller, <laughs> basically." And so they thought we they were... gave you an impossible solution. <laughs> impossible to get out of that one. Yes, it was great because it, it was actually a great story and a story that that I have have been working on to put in my my uh, groups. You know, different storytellers have have things that they like to tell. I love to tell about the mountains and and a racetrack kind of fits in with where I went to college, just outside of Lexington. So there was a connection there, and and um, the the prop that they talked about was a was a squirrel. You know, there was there was a squirrel in the story, and it was at a racetrack, and and um, the problem was that that this kid, eleven year old kid, was not supposed to have a squirrel at the racetrack, and that's kind of what they left me with. And we we developed this great story about this kid being asked to ride an old lame horse, and uh, they didn't have enough jockeys, and and the kid was asked to ride an old lame horse. 
and he put the squirrel in his shirt and as they were riding last in the in the race the squirrel came out and bit the horse on the ear and the horse took off and the horse ended up winning <laughs> and the great thing is in the story Eric is is that in the end the boy became a world famous jockey but he always rode with with the squirrel in his <laughs> shirt pocket and just as the horse would take off the squirrel would jump out would bite the horse's ear and of course every horse he ever rode came in first because the squirrel was helping jockey the horse <laughs> so when you're that was telling their person their place I'm sorry go ahead when you're when you're working with these kids are they're creating a dare for you with these different scenarios is that how you, you yes, do most yes basically what i'm saying is hey give me your best shot and and i tell them you know you got to do something that's out of the norm and and i i talk to them and i tell them a story that's in the genre the the mountain stories the stories about appalachia that i love and then i say let's go out of the box let's try to do some stuff that's not my type of story and and i'm going to i'm going to let you make it up give me the stuff that that builds the story the beginning the middle and the end and when we're at the last 15 minutes of class i will tell the story and i don't have any time to write anything down which is great but what i'm asking them to do and 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 in the teaching process i'm asking them to write down the beginning the middle and the end of the story for me i'm asking them to write down the the person the place the problem and the props and when we get a consensus they write that down that it's it's you know freddy freddy the 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 horse trainer or whatever and it's at the racetrack and the problem is they don't have enough jockeys and he's not supposed to have the squirrel here and the prop is the squirrel hmm. and then they look at me and say okay what are you going to do with this <laughs> and and it's great because it really puts the teaching process into a, a format that's that's giving the authority figure a challenge and putting them you know they they all of us all of a sudden become the ones that are telling me to do something and this is my assignment in in the classroom and I become the student for for a few minutes and they are grading me and and at the end then of course I'm graded by whether they like it or not and whether they clap or not <laughs> and, and that's how I end it. You know, I say, hey, if I did a good job, when I get to the end, I'll stop, I'll bow, I'll take off my hat, and if you liked it, clap. <laughs> and it just, it, I have such fun with it because it causes the kids to stop and to think and to create. And that is is what's great because it teaches them about the parts of a story, but but it it teaches them that they are not just listeners all of a sudden. They are creators. They are making something. Now, you do this in a, like, this would be really good in a one-day sort of residency scenario. Yes, absolutely. You're seeing the kids once, or yeah. even as an introduction to storytelling. Right, right. And I've done it, excuse me, I've, I've done it over several days, and this will be the last day. I've, I've come in, I've done more formalized stuff, and I've done almost a, a storyteller slash poet in residence type of thing for three days and I went in and I I talked formally and I, I read poems and we, we talked about writing poems one day and then a second day we talked about storytelling and talked about 
the fact that storytelling was was such an oral tradition and that storytelling much of the time is not written down, that it's passed from one person to another, and it changes constantly. And and I talk about the difference between poetry, which does not change. And if you if you read my poems today on on you know in a book or on a website, and you read them ten years from now, they're going to be exactly the same. Yes. But because storytelling is a transient and and flexible and malleable medium, the story that I tell today is going to be different if I tell it in the morning as soon as I get up. And it's going to be different tomorrow night if I tell it a second time. Where I say there is a transition between storytelling, the oral transition, and story writing, the the creative hard copy type of of experience that, that they do when they write stories in class. Medicine story, and he, I think he's the second or third posting. He talks about this in the on the uh, the program. He talked about the whole uh, development of just the power of storytelling. Storytelling with children. <laughs> storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. In terms of going into into schools and working with classrooms and teachers, um, somebody who's less experienced with storytelling, they might be a little nervous about setting up the scenario. Um, <laughs> yeah. But have you ever done it with the kids, uh, sort of in teams or, or sort of as a the whole group for the more uh, efficient members of the group, um, setting up scenarios and seeing if everyone wants to take the dare and try to make the story up. Have you tried that? Yes, actually, and that's a little bit better in a in a residency when you're there for us for a couple days. Yeah, and and I have done that where I've demonstrated this to them, and then I've sat down with them and and I've not asked them to get up and tell the story too often. What I've asked them to do is to write the story down, and I've sat down with them and and as a group we've come up with with my four P's, you know, the three P's that are traditional plus my fourth one, the props, and we break up into groups. And and many times those are broken up into, uh, you know, the more proficient writers and, and storytellers in a group may be together. And and I I sit down with them. We come up with consensus, and, and they come up together with a character, the the person, and together they come up with a place. Together they come up with a problem and the props, and then they're assigned the task of sitting down and each one of them privately writing a story with the same four pieces and just seeing how it turns out. And that is great because they then become empowered to see who can do a better job of, of being crazy. And and it, it's a real hoot. There was one experience I had where a little boy... Talked and, and I think he probably heard this in a in a joke or a story some somewhere. They were talking about a race, and he had his character running faster than everybody else. And his character, there was a big explosion, and his character fell to the ground. And everybody stopped, and they were afraid that something had happened. And when I at, he kind of paused and he grinned, and I said, "Well, what happened?" And he said, "His tennis shoe had a blowout." And oak or something I heard somewhere, and I just I loved it because 
everybody just was taken aback by the fact that a tennis shoe would blow out like a car tire would. <laughs> and the visual image, and, and you know me well enough to know that I love visual images, and the visual image of this boy running faster than anybody in the race, and then all of a sudden, you know, a big popping sound, and him falling to his side, and everybody stops, and and, and he has a blowout. You know, his his tire, his shoe blew out, and and I thought, oh, what a great great image. And I think he had like these Nike or Air Jordans that you pump up or whatever, from what I remember, and and that's what blew out. You know, he he pumped it up so hard, he was running faster, but it caused it caused him to have the blowout, <laughs> and. And that was great because other kids, you could see them changing and erasing when he shared his story. And, you know, he would, they, they would read them. And, and you would see kids changing things and erasing things because they then had a challenge. It wasn't a bet. It was a challenge. You know, he kind of looked at everybody and grinned. And then all of a sudden everybody thought, wow, you know, maybe I need to change this. Maybe I need to add this because I want to one-up him. And that is what I, I love about this improvisational storytelling is it really gives the kids such a neat opportunity when, when they're given the same, the same working tools, the same building blocks, the same four Ps, to see what they can do with it that is different. And, and you get creative kids, and that becomes very, very exciting. And I really see how, I mean, in using this in my practice, I've seen how the kids who are the ones with the storytelling who are less successful in other ways cuz cuz schools today are very much a written environment. Yes. And what you're describing, exercises you're describing are going to help the kids who are more verbal and less written. Yes, and absolutely. Help them to feel successful. Yep. Um at a school activity. Yep. I I've known known a couple kids with ADD that that just did not enjoy writing a story. But boy, you know, and, and and very close to them, very close to them, and and they just love storytelling, and and they will sit and just be mesmerized by by storytelling. They are so in the moment, and when they were unleashed and given the opportunity to create in their mind, they just it, it was like, you know, Technicolor is released <laughs> all of a sudden. You know that they're they're a black and white kid in the in the written side of it, and when they're allowed to tell a story that they create without having to write it down, it's just like Disneyland and Technicolor comes out of their mouth. I can and identify with that. You know, that's neat. That is so neat. It's, I mean, to me as a dyslexic person, uh, you know, my vocabulary written is so much less than the richness of my vocabulary oral. Absolutely. And my vocabulary reading is so much more than both put together. Right, uh, right. It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, the, you know, when I'm writing something down, I can't tell you how many times I can't use the richness of the vocabulary. I have to go for the simpler language just because I don't, I can't communicate. Um, I can't use those words effectively because right. I just can't spell them. Right, right. I understand what you're saying, and and and, and you know that's the great thing about this this Im- improvisational storytelling, also, Eric. You don't have to be the top of the class to come up with ideas. You know, sometimes it's it's a little kid, a little girl that never says anything. For example, the story that I was sharing with you about the racetrack, 
the squirrel idea came from a little girl that was sitting just so quiet, and I said, I need a prop. I need something that's going to make this story interesting. And I said, somebody give me an idea. And, of course, the ones that always raised their hands raised their hands. And I listened to several of those, and, and I every kid that raises their hand, I, I let them give their idea. And then this little girl real shyly raised her hand up, not even all the way, just part of the way, and I said, yeah, how about you? And she said, could we use a squirrel? And I, I kind of giggled, and somebody else said, yes, let's use a squirrel. And then every kid in the in the classroom said, yeah, let's use a squirrel. And, and it just became... It was almost like them chanting, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> and and she became the hero all of a sudden. And, and she's a little girl who probably would have never, you know, really bought into this whole thing because she would have had to talk. And, and it became her story all of a sudden. And the kids were just with one accord saying, yeah, let's, let's use Stephanie Squirrel. <laughs> so they were buying into the process. Absolutely, they bought into it. And, and like I said, she became a hero. This little girl who was quiet the whole time, when she suggested a squirrel, it caught, caught on, and all of a sudden she was it's almost like she was lifted up on everybody's shoulders for a moment. So uh, is there a way that uh, someone who is less, you know, you or me, we can pull this off. Right. You know, this is not, I do this all the time. This is easy. Right. But let's say someone is less, able at storytelling they're a teacher who may not be comfortable i mean they would never do this in a setting in front of another adult but they consider it in front of their kids what's a way to ease into an exercise like this with their kids that's less intense well Uh, i think i think something that's a little bit easier is to do the four p's and as a class or as a as a group out of the class to do exactly what i do when i sit down with the kids and have them write and and get them to come to consensus about the four Ps, the person, the place, the problem, and the props. And then ask the kids to write about those things and and challenge them to, to come up with a story. And the great thing is that what they can do, the teacher, the, the librarian, the, the new storyteller, can say, I'm going to do the same thing. And you could you could literally sit down and take the same piece of paper and the same same pen or pencil that the kids take, and you could do your own story, and you could say, now I'm going to share mine with you, and I want you to share yours. And you could you could do bullets. You wouldn't have to do a whole story. Um, you could maybe do some bullets and talk about the creative process and say, this is... This is just the bones, the start of my story. But here's what I think my story would look like. And that's a lot less threatening. You don't have to get up. I, when I was in college, I, I took improvisation classes, and, and we were given these same things, you know, in an improv class. Okay, here's your, you know, here's your character. You're, you're an 85-year-old ballet dancer. And... You know, you're you're at the Met and you're trying out for, you know, the. I don't, I, I'm not a big ballet guy, Eric. You'll have to pardon me, but you know, you're trying out for for the New York Ballet or whatever, and, and you're 85 or 89, and and then in improv class we had to pretend to be an 89 year old person, 
at the ballet trying out for a part in Swan Lake. And um, so so I have a background, and, and, and I knew how to do that, and that's why I took that idea, because it was always so much fun. But you can you can translate that into something a lot less threatening and a lot less technical by by using the concept of the four Ps and writing and uh, then reading that. And that that can be such a neat opportunity to take the story and, and put it down and, and uh, tell the kids as you're reading. And, and I would do this sometimes. I would say, you know, as you're reading, if you think of things to throw in there, throw them in. You know, this is... This is improvisation. Throw them in as you're reading. It doesn't have to be what you wrote down 100%. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That's really good. I'm just trying to think of ways for people to build up to... um, uh, I've also done a thing where people will uh, tell a story in parts. But then again, some people are really afraid of speaking in groups, so you don't want to do that to a group unless everybody's comfortable. Right, right. And Um, and the other thing, if you were a teacher, for example could part this out and talk about character development. And together in a class, you could spend one whole classroom t- developing some characters. And you could start with, tell me who we're going to talk about, who's going to be the main character in the story. Um, and and just you know work on that in a class one day. And you know that and and I think that would be a lot of fun I do that for five minutes, but what if you did it for a whole class where you're you're in a creative writing class with kids fourth, fifth, sixth grade, and, and you say, okay, in in today's class, we're going to build the main character. What does he look like? What does she look like? How old are they? You know, are they right-handed? Are they left-handed? What kind of clothes do they wear? Where do they go to school? If they're an old person, where do they live? What, you know, what's their parents' name? And that's and that character development. The great thing about that is the kids are writing. They will then have some do's and don'ts. You know that that this kid named Tommy chews bubble gum all the time. So you know as as you write the story about Tommy that somehow you have to talk about the fact that he always chews bubble gum. So you could part and parcel it out like that. And and you could talk about the place, you could talk about the person, and and what that does is that gives them a real depth to the story, and the story isn't two dimensional when when they start writing it later on, and you know they have some depth to build on when they when they write. And I do that, by the way, Eric. I uh, you know you know that I tell stories about my hometown of beloved Kentucky, and I have backstories that nobody's ever heard. And I have pages and pages of backstories. I I have a map that I drew a, a, about my hometown. You know that this map is my guideline to where things happen, and I have to be true to my backstory. Yeah, they have to hear the honesty in your voice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. They have to know that downtown in my hometown of beloved, that that there is a, a library that's a Carnegie Library. They they have to know that there's a Masonic Lodge that I call Pappy Yoakum Lodge Number 149 because it's in one of my stories. And they have to know that, that, that Annie Panky has a, a store there that is Panky's Hankies and that she's a half a bubble off plum and at Christmas time she might have 
uh, a jack o' lantern, plastic jack o' lantern with with Easter lilies in it. In in it's just that way. And that you know that's the backstory that that when I write that I got I have to be true to that. And what I'm doing when I teach the kids these things, when you write the story, you have to be true to the to the characters and the place that you've already determined are going to be. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, to me, the death knell of of any television series is when they go off that that Bible that they've yes. had in the background. Absolutely. And, and you just see it happening time and time again. The series comes to a place where, and I don't really watch TV anymore, but I remember, um, it comes to a place where they've stretched the story so far and... They want to make it more interesting, so they break the rules, and the show yes. is dead. It's over. Because once you break the rules, nobody believes you anymore. Right. And well, they won't believe like you anymore. It's just like when I was a kid. I, I read Superman comics, and I loved Superman. And um, then one day, he got some new powers. Years after I stopped reading, you know, somebody brought me this cart- this comic book and said, Superman has new powers. And it didn't do well, because they broke they broke their own rules. You know, Superman was faster than a speeding bullet. You know, he didn't have this power that they endowed him with in this new comic book. And that's the same with your characters. When you write a character and and you storytell or you write, you have to be true to that. And that's the great thing about working with kids in this way. If they create the character, character together and they come to that consensus as they're writing the story... They have promises they've made to each other that this character is this. Yeah. And there definitely is, you know, where is the tension in the story if you aren't keeping your trust as yes. a listener or your reader? There's no tension. If if they don't believe that you're actually, you know, that, that any death or any accident is permanent because there are no rules, right. then there's no tension in the story. That's right. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. And when you get to that... You get to the tension. You get to the problem. You know. You know that that you have to be true to that. And and it's just like you know. I, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and I don't I don't want to plug Harry Potter or anything. But I am so excited about the last Harry Potter book coming out, and the tension that's in the air in the, in the fandom of of Harry Potter, because you know uh, the woman that that has written Harry Potter said these things are going to happen, and they're going to happen for sure. And everybody is second-guessing her, just dying for this summer when that book comes out because they want to see what happens. And that's that's a great thing because she made promises to herself when she first started writing before the first book came out. She she made a commitment to stay true to to a vision. And that's the and and again, as I said, that's the exciting thing about this is because. When when you do character development, when you do those things, and, and those kids give me some guidelines. They they do those four Ps. They give me some guidelines. I can be very very easily. I I can do an improv story because they they've given me the hooks to hang the story on. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. Yeah, that's so deep. <laughs> I mean, oh, just, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, it is. 
it's really deep. We this is one of the most important parts of storytelling. This is the place that if you don't get this, you can't go to the next step. Yes, that's absolutely you know? true. And I've seen many storytellers who don't get it. Yes. Um, and many writers, I'll say, more than storytellers. Because storytelling right. is so immediate, you can see it in the audience. You know, it's like, oh, they didn't like that. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but writing, you can write a lot before you realize that, you know, people aren't oh. enjoying it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, that's the thing, because you end up wandering in the wilderness, because you you don't have that that road path that that road map you don't have that path that you promised to take, and that's what takes storytellers from good to great, because they know when they get when they find their voice, their voice also has those promises to keep, and and when you tell stories and I've I've sat down with you a number of times and and you've told stories and and you're working on a long 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 group of stories that are grouped together but you have those promises that you've made to yourself and you've made to your characters that they're not going to morph in the middle of of an epic and they will be the same character maybe maybe time worn at the end of the epic that they were when they began that's interesting because when you were talking before i was thinking about the epic that i'm working on called fairy yes. tales forever which is fairytalesforever.com anybody's interested but I was thinking about the epic, and I was thinking about how the characters are kids who are becoming teenagers. And I've been looking at my own teens and looking at the emotions and the changes. They got, they change so quickly, you know. And I'm looking at them going, man, I really haven't thought about this with my characters. As the epic continues, who they who they turn into and who they become. Right. You know, and, right. and watching my kids go through these changes, it's like, wow, they really change. Uh, yeah. I've just been really deeply thinking about how I can have a story that represents how quickly a teenager tries on different things, you know. One week they're a skateboarder, the next week they're a goth, the next week after that. (laughs) (laughs) And those changes also have to include when they realize what they were is not what they are now. For example, a a kid that that starts putting gauges in, in his or her ear. And and gets it up a couple sizes and then realizes, you know, I do not want to be able to push a ping pong ball through through my ear, and and then and then you know they they walk away from that and 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 you realize that yes they morph they change they transition very quickly and they and try they try and if they don't like they 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 move on they move on yeah and, and the same with the character you know. For example, Eric, I have a character that you've heard me tell stories about before. My cousin Peanut. I, I, he, he's my everyman. He's my Jack, you know, <laughs> in the Jack tales. And and um, I remember years ago when I was in college, uh, reading about the everyman tales and and an old old ancient play called Ralph Royster Doyster. I I don't know why I still remember that, but but the everyman that that was the Jack, the person that all of us identified with, and and what I try to do is, is with my cousin Peanut, have a character that that is my foil boy, fall guy, but everybody knows him and he loves and, and they love him. And and when I talk about him, you know, I know how I know how my cousin Peanut dies. He's he's not a real character, obviously. He's not a real person, but I know how he dies. You know, and I have a story, and he disappears in the story, and and I I know what happens to him even though it's never part of that story. Hmm. You know, and 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 I know 
what happens to him, and I know what he becomes. And, and just like your epic story that that you have kids that turn into teenagers and and turn into adults, if you're going to be true to that, you have to explore those feelings and 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 be aware of them, and not write them from from your viewpoint, but think about what those teenagers are feeling if if they are on an epic journey or a quest and they're 15 and 16 years old what else is going on in their heads you know what hormones are raging at that moment that's going to make them who they are so this so in terms of um working with kids and being creative with the kids let's just go let's just outline like in two minutes the basic system you described at the beginning. Let's just go back through real quick. Okay, going back through, what I what I like to do is go into a classroom situation, especially a creative writing or a or an English class, and I I'm asking the teachers to already be talking about the basics of of creative writing, the beginning, the middle, the end of a story, and and hopefully they have explored with with them the three P's, the person the place, the problem. I hear that a lot in grade schools these days. When I go in, I add the fourth part to that, and that's the props, because kids respond really well to fun stories. I, I tell them, let's come up with some stuff in the story that's fun, things I have to handle in this story. And together with the kids in the classroom, I explore a person. I ask them to build a person with me. What does the person look like? Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Young, middle-aged, old? How tall? How short? How much do they weigh? Are they right-handed, left-handed? The same with the place. Where is this place? Well, it's, you know, Tim, Timbuktu. It's it's the Antarctic. It's a, it's a treasure ship sunk, you know, 30 feet underwater. What is the problem? What what is the situation? What what tension is there that makes the story interesting? Or maybe the problem is that that there's you know there's a, a treasure chest that they have to retrieve, but but it's protected by manta rays or it's protected by moray eels or whatever. And then the props, you know, and and maybe maybe the prop is a singing dolphin that they find along the way, and it's something I have to work into the story. We work through those things together, and if we have an hour, for example, for 45 minutes, I, I talk about the difference between fiction and nonfiction. I talk about the three Ps, then we start putting those in place. We, I have one of the kids be recorder and write these things up on the, the whiteboard or a piece of paper for me, and they write them down on their paper, and they, they help me by writing ideas down. And then the last 15 minutes, I take all those things, and I tell them a story that I create right there and tell them right on the spot. It's improvisational. The secret, though, that I end with in the last two or three minutes of the class is I remind them that I really didn't improvise the story that they wrote the story for me as we were building the characters. All I did is to actually voice the story that they helped me write. I like it. I yeah. like the I like the building, um, you know. And then the and then part of it, I think that one of the things our schools miss is the uh, being able to watch someone else do a process before you do it yourself. Yes. 
you know, and that's what I like about the process you described. And that's a great thing because then as I leave, you know, I I challenge them. I've had I've told them if you'd like, I would love for you to write your stories and send me copies of your stories. And not every classroom does that, but I on many occasions I've had them do that, and I get this reward, and it's such a great thing for a storyteller. I get maybe out of a class of twenty kids, you know. I get I get 20 stories that they've written and mailed to me. And I leave a business card with the teacher and I, I tell the teacher, hey, I'd love for them to send this. And it is so rewarding because they, they send me this, this letter along with it. Dear Mr. Holland, here is my story. I really liked your hat, is what one one kid said. you know, and, and he attached that note to his story. And his story was great. But the thing he remembered about me is he liked my hat, you know, <laughs> and and it it leaves me with a connection back to that classroom because many times when I go into a classroom, you know, I may never go back there again, but I'll be somewhere else and some kid will come up and say, hey, I saw you at my school last year. I love that, man, when it happens to me. Oh, it's fantastic. I was at the Appalachian Festival on Friday before Mother's Day, Saturday and Sunday, and I told it a school on Thursday that happened to come to the Appalachian Festival on Friday, and I must have had 50 kids stop and say, oh, you were at my school yesterday. <laughs> and that is gratification. You know, when a kid comes up, it is it is the recognition that is a storyteller I love. Yeah, I have to say that it, is, it does make my day. I'm walking in the mall land, and I'm just like, ah, uh, shopping. And all of a sudden, some kid turns around and goes, Hey, that's Brother Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. like I'm a rock star or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's supposed to stop and look, you know. And the kids always surprised that no one else is looking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it? Absolutely. They think you're somebody. That's the cool thing. Oh, um, well, let's talk about your offer. Okay. For our audience, for people who listen to the podcast in the future, and people yes. who are listening now. There's there's actually two I want to mention, Eric. The first one is free to anybody that wants to go on and read my poems and my stories. And, and we mentioned that earlier, and that's my website. It is www.mountainstories.easyjournal, and that's one word, easyjournal.com. And Mountain Stories is one word as well. Mountain Stories is one word as well. And it's on there all the time. I write at least two or three times a month. And I have, actually, I have between three and 4,000 people a month that go on and read my stories. And it's it's great. It's it's very gratifying to know that people stop by to read read what I do. Oh, that's so sweet. And as a writer, it, it makes you feel good. And they, they there's places on there that they can comment, which is just very gratifi- gratifying. It, you know, it, it feels good. The other thing is, I have a small book of poetry, a chapbook. There's about 30 or 40 poems in there, and then I have a CD. And and the first five people that that write to me and um, request it, I will send them the CD plus the chapbook for twenty dollars, including postage. Now, normally my my book is seven dollars, and my CD is fifteen plus postage. But the first five people uh, that write to me and and ask for it, I will send them both for $20. Now, my address is Stephen Holland, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Holland, H-O-L-L-E-N, 
And for a storyteller, this is a great address, 2155 Princess Drive. <laughs> nice house, Creek. too, I have to say. Yes, Beaver Creek, Ohio, 45434. And they can email me at mountainstories at yahoo.com. Ah, that's good. Mountainstories at yahoo.com. Yes. Um, and I think uh, I'm going to next, in a, about 10 days, um, I will be at the Yellow Spring Street Fair. I'm going to have a booth there. Yeah. Uh, and I want to invite you to come by if you come to the street fair. Uh, and I just wanted to invite everybody who listens to this between now and the street fair next week, if you're locally based and you're coming to the Yellow Spring Street Spring Street Fair to drop by the booth and say hello, um, uh, and uh, that'd be great. Just say I heard you on the podcast. I heard listening to your podcast, and I really enjoyed it. And I want to come by and say hello. I'll be right in front of the Emporium. Um, there's about ten thousand people who come. Maybe twelve, depending on the weather. Ten to fifteen thousand people come to the street fair. So uh, make sure you say, you know, stop and say, hey, I heard your voice. Um, any last words of advice for the storytelling movement? Last words uh, Steve, of advice on on creative storytelling in terms of working in schools or with kids. Um, the thing thing I would say is is always 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 keep your humor and your vision because I think when we lose those things as storytellers, we lose a lot of of the things that make storytelling great. And when you find your voice, when you find it's so worthwhile to spend time finding your voice because Uh, it makes you such a better storyteller. Yep. Eric, when I first started writing and telling stories, I thought I would would do science fiction (laughs) because I love science fiction. And I never found my voice with science fiction. And I just stumbled on, you know, I grew up in the mountains and my family's been in Appalachia for 250 years. And I stumbled on that voice, and it's like, oh, this fits. Yeah, I definitely start out wanting to do a lot of environmental sort of uh, native storytelling and yes. discovering very rapidly that that wasn't my tradition. <laughs> I hear you. And I was telling other people's stories. I didn't have any of my own, and I couldn't make any of my own because it's native, and I'm not native. Yep, I so hear you. Eventually, I came around, um, and I've been building a nice collection of stories. Well, I want to thank those of you who are listening on the podcast, those of you listening live right now. You have been listening to The Art of Storytelling with Children. I'm Brother Wolf, and we have on the phone Steve Holland. And, Steve, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I thank really appreciate you, Eric. it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.
tale. 